You're listening to The Beecast, the official podcast of Bplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. This week we talk about a startup comic book company, how to find a mentor, and our thoughts on big data for small businesses. You ready? I am ready. Episode three. Are you ready? We don't need to do the intro. We can just dive right <laughs> in. not do the intro. Um, Peter, do you know how people could reach out to us if they wanted to find us? I have no idea. If they wanted to email us, what would the email? You. No. Not me. Bcast at bplans.com. Hmm. And if they wanted to reach out to us on Twitter? Mm-hmm. I bet there's a way. There is a way. All right. At bplans. Huh. Great. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you got to keep it under uh, under some characters. Um, I never really understood what Twitter was. Like it's a it's a chat forum. That's a different podcast. Yeah, we'll no get into that, that later. Is. It's like got birds in it and things. Um, and if people want to find us on SoundCloud, that's where our podcast is currently. They can go to SoundCloud.com/slash/bplans, and that should show our episodes. You can follow our profile, or you can share uh, the podcast with other people. It's exciting. I think people should do that. It's extremely exciting, and I think people already are loving us. If you want to email us a question, we can talk about it on the show, bcast at bplans.com. We do already have uh, somebody who's emailed us. Um, It's an Indian-based web design company. Um, They actually didn't say the name of their company, but they want to know if we need any design work. So, I mean, what do you think should be emailing back? We're not using this. So we've got an article this week from uh, Angelique O'Rourke, uh, published on bplans.com. title is, What Does It Take to Start a Comic Book Business? And it's kind of an interview format with Brian, who's uh, the head of Robot Paper, founder of Robot Paper. Yeah, and uh, he's actually the founder of Robot Paper, but that's not his only job. He's also the chief operating officer of Radius. It's a digital agency for content marketing. So this comic book... Um, company is kind of like a side gig that he's done. A uh, friend of mine that I went to high school with uh, sent me an email and said, hey, I've got this idea for a comic book. Uh, you know, I know that you know how to draw. We should make a comic book. I said, that's a fantastic idea. Let's talk. Uh, so we had a conversation. He kind of pitched the idea to me. and said, this is great. And we decided that we would you know, create this book together. Yeah, the net result was they ended up self-publishing uh, under this company called Robot Paper. So yeah. this is pretty cool. I mean, to me, what's really interesting here is this idea of the validation here, right? You've got this almost like two-stage validation. And I think this is something that that, that all these small businesses out there can really think about. Um, Kickstarter's a pretty popular platform. And I think a lot of small businesses think like, okay, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not just dreaming up an idea, Right. But the way that these guys have used Kickstarter is as a way of validating whether there is interest from the broader audience, their potential users out there. So really it's, it's fun to kind of think about just this idea of reaching out to people, getting that validation for your new idea. And again, this could be whether you're an up and running business, trying to start something new, launch a new product, that kind of thing, or somebody who just wants to try something completely new. Kickstarter is one platform. Another platform might be just getting out there and interviewing. 
putting samples out. I mean, literally a great way of audience validating uh, a product in a consumer setting is uh, little sliced pieces of cookies up at the counter, right? Yeah. Do people like it? What do they say? Do they smile? Do they buy the cookie? These are all equally valid ways of reaching a conclusion, which is the real users of my current product want X enhancement or real people out in the world want to purchase a comic book like mine. And so how else would you do that? That's a, you know, it's, it's always an interesting sort of a uh, question small businesses can ask. You know, Kickstarter is a great avenue for funding a business, funding and starting a business, but you do have to have, you know, my experience, you have to have a plan in place. Yeah, not every Kickstarter campaign is successful. Um, that might be because the idea itself is bad, or maybe you just didn't uh, execute the campaign well enough to get enough people interested in the idea. Um, but how does that compare versus, you know, doing like bootstrapping or something like that? How can you still validate your idea through that means? Yeah, well, you know, I think the two go hand in hand. But really, the biggest thing about reaching a validation point and, and doing it frequently, frankly, it's not just a one time thing, mm. but figuring out what the audience actually responds to, what they respond to positively, and then really most important, will real people actually pay real money for the thing that you intend to sell to them. So it's one thing to say, I'm super interested in uh, Pinterest, you know, absolutely there should be a Pinterest out there, uh, but you know, how do you monetize it? Well, what if we charged you a subscription fee? Does your whole audience disappear if you do that? And the interesting thing there, again, is Kickstarter is one way to say, will you give me money in exchange for the promise of this future idea? Bootstrapping comes a little bit later where this idea of, you know, throwing your own money into the mix, mm -hmm. making it happen yourself is important. And I think the two go hand in hand in the sense that you don't want to overinvest in an idea that will not be accepted by your intended users. Yeah, and so the Kickstarter campaign went well for them. They were able to, uh, they're going to do a six-issue miniseries. Um, they're currently on the fifth issue of their comic called Henchmen. Um, so things are going pretty well for them. The, the idea was validated, and now it's off and running. Yeah, the other thing we liked about the article was this part about the Dave Dorman and this story they tell about uh, sort of haphazardly recruiting this, this artist. Yeah, and I didn't know who Dave Dorman was before I read I this article, yeah. um, but apparently, you know, he did all of the Dark Horse comics um, for Star Wars covers through the 90s, um, so people who love comic books and collect them, Dave Dorman is like a household name. He's done tons of the covers of people's favorite issues in, of comic books, um, so he's really well-renowned, and these guys were able to get him to do their covers for the Henchman comics. Friends of mine and people I know that know Dave's work said, oh my gosh, like, how did you get Dave Dorman to do your cover art? And it was, you know, I, my response is just, I asked him. So this is going to dovetail into, I think, some of what Caroline's going to talk about with mentoring, this idea of just asking. I mean, how else do you get anything done in the world without asking the people who are your stakeholders? That's right. And I think a lot of times we set up these false obstacles in our minds of why we shouldn't do this or shouldn't ask that. Um, but a lot of this is just about like, go out and do it. Try it. Ask people. And you might be surprised who's willing to help you out. I think that's a great point of, you know, with this article too. You know, he's talking about what he loves and, and, and what his biggest challenges are. And, you know, the biggest challenge is, you know, for him is time. You know, so robot paper may or may not exist based on how much time Brian's got to dedicate to it. You know, in order to, to make money and sell books, you've got to go to comic book shows and email people and do things. And sometimes you're sitting at a comic book show that didn't have the attendance that the organizers thought it would. And 
you're hoping you make the table back. Sometimes you're at a show and people are buying things up and right. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's the labor of love. It's, it's finding the time to, to do it. To be a challenge sometimes, you got to stay up an extra hour when you want to go to bed to proof the files and get it to the printer in time to get to the stores. So that's one of the biggest challenges that he has, but the way that you get through these challenges, um, you know, is discipline, planning, but a big part of that is you doing something that you love to do. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, the time issue is always huge. Any small business owner knows this. You don't have time to do everything you should be doing, everything you could be doing, so you've got to make the best investments possible. Uh, but like you said, what what allows you to wake up in the morning and make sure that you can do those things? I think a lot of people, you know, it's a tough balance, this idea of doing something that you are actually good at or that actually has a market versus something that you purely love doing. And there's usually somewhere in between those two points where people fall and you know, that's what makes it hard to get up in the morning or hard to dedicate 80 hours a week to the thing, uh, to that venture. So, you know, it's always cool to hear a story like Brian's where he's he's in this because he loves it, he does it because he cares, uh, and then he loves the fans' reaction. Yeah, and you, I mean, to be honest, there might be some of the process and the production of, of your product or your business that you don't love, but maybe it's that final point of once it's out on the shelves, once it's, you know, in people's hands, that's what you love. You love seeing people interact with it, get joy from it, um, and that's exactly what Brian gets. See, one of my favorite things is when the books arrive from the printer. Like when I get like our overprint and like my copies that will sell, like there's something just amazing about cutting open the first case of books and opening it and smelling like smelling the smell of the the printed page. It's like that just sort of like I don't know that that ink smell. Kind of amazing. It's also pretty awesome um, to get like an email from someone that really likes the book. You know, someone tweeted at us the other day. They had uh, they did a really amazing review of the book, and you could tell they actually read the book, and it was a really positive review, and they really liked the book. And you know, that's pretty awesome. You know, meeting people at comic book shows that are fans of the comic are great. Which leads us to this idea that a lot of us have things that we love doing and that we do in our spare time, and maybe we're wondering whether we could make that into a career of some sort. Maybe we're wondering, hey, could I possibly ever make money off this? You know, I'm reminded of, of Miles Davis who said, you know, almost every other album he would do was what he called a pot boiler. It kept the pot boiling hmm. while then he could make albums like Bitches Brew, which he felt like were his real artistic pieces. Interesting. So he sort of toggled between making money and making art, all the while doing the same basic action that was, you know, playing the trumpet, leading the band, uh, you know, that was core to the whole activity. So, you know, I think in, in a way it's really interesting to, to think about this idea of what does it take to turn a hobby into a business? Should you do it? Are there pros and cons to it? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we actually do have an article for that. It's called How to Turn Your Hobby into a Business. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to bplans.com and uh, it's How to Turn Your Hobby into a Business. That's good, yeah. And it's a good reference point. I mean, they talk a little bit about should you turn your hobby into a business? Uh, you know, what kinds of activities do you need to do to get through that process? And again, I think it's interesting for everyone to think about. If you're, you know, not currently an entrepreneur, but you're thinking about it, you know, what does it take to make you think about those things that you love in a way 
that is potentially entrepreneurial. So that's a great story about uh, Robot Paper and Brian and uh, how he got that up and running. Um, so we definitely encourage you to read the article uh, and also the how to turn your hobby into a business uh, if you're interested in that. Um, but we want to hear from you. If you want to email us at bcast at bplans.com or send us a tweet, we'd love to know what hobby you have that you've always thought about turning into a business. Yeah, Jonathan, for me, I've been, uh, I was trying to learn how to build acoustic guitars. Uh, it's a bit of a, a part-time hobby for me. It's uh, not something I'm very good at, so I don't think I can make any money from it. <laughs> but to be honest, you know, maybe one day I could. I don't know. It's, uh, it'll be interesting. Tell us what your hobby is that you thought about uh, turning into a business. Um, you can even feel free to tell us why you won't turn your hobby into a business. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So Bplans uh, on Twitter or bcast at bplans.com uh, on email. We'd love to hear from you. Jonathan, we got Caroline Cummings here with us to talk a little bit about this idea of business mentoring, finding a mentor, how do you find a mentor, who's a mentor, what's a mentor, what do I expect as a mentee? A mentee is one who gets mentored. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that's fun to know. Uh, we, this is a question we've gotten from a lot of our audience, uh, especially in a webinar Caroline did recently, uh, where one of the primary questions was, you know, we hear this advice of I need to find a business mentor, I should find one, here's the parameters of what they should do for me, but you know, where do you find one? How do you start the process? How do you have that conversation? So let's ask Caroline like all those questions and just see where we get. Awesome, welcome Caroline. Thanks for having me. So this is a topic that I'm super, super passionate about. And I have a pretty cheesy saying that is, everybody should mentor and be mentored. And I think if everybody in the world did that, we'd be in a much better place. <laughs> All right. Because I don't, I don't believe world peace is truly accessible. However, if we had everybody mentoring, all boats would rise. This is it, the World Peace Podcast. That's it. Right, so thanks for having me. No. Yeah. Um, so I have been mentoring now for about 20 years. And it started out where I was mentoring at-risk youth. And I kind of hate that term, but I'm trying to find a better term. But it's kids who are at risk of either dropping out of school or doing drugs or going to jail. And you know they just don't have a lot of positive role models around them. Right. But in the business side of things, it's there's not a lot of formality in places to go. So you're on your own. Yeah. So there's really a few things that you, you have to think about. And the first thing is you need to really clarify what kind of mentor you want. As opposed to saying, I'm starting a business and I want to find a mentor. Well, that's such an ambiguous, very broad ask. So you want to clarify specifically what kind of mentor are you looking for? Do you want someone who has started a business before? Do you want someone who has expertise in marketing? Do you want someone who has access to resources that you may not have access to? Do you want someone who's just a really kick-ass leader and you want to be mentored on how do you manage people, how do you hire, how do you fire, how do you promote, all of that? So you wanna first clarify what it is that you want because if you name it, it's going to be easier to then go find those people. Right. So a mentor, you don't pay. It's a person who you guys make an agreement to hang out together and work on certain things together. If you want, if they want to charge you, then they should really be calling themselves a business coach or a life coach. Hmm. When it comes to clarifying your needs, I mean, is it okay to articulate multiple needs? Like, rather than it just being one specific thing, like I want help marketing, is it okay to have a couple? I, I need help marketing, but I also would like some help 
being a better manager. Absolutely. And if you're lucky, you can find one mentor who has all of those skill sets. But really, you should have a couple of different mentors based on what the needs are. I've yet to find one person who was able to mentor me and had everything that I needed. Yeah. And even if you did find that one person, it's probably good to have diversity in the people and the ideas that you're getting exposed to. So um, clarifying is one step. The next step is you then want to go out and seek this person or these people. And people always ask me, where do I go? Well, you know, it depends on where you live, mm-hmm. but every every community has a chamber of commerce and the chamber of commerce um, chamber of commerce organizations typically do networking events some of them have young professional networking events some of them have greeters where you actually go and you can like pass leads and meet people and, and help promote other businesses so it depends on where you live but there's always different clubs and organizations that you can join there's alumni groups that you can join online and offline there are professional um, mentoring organizations that, for one, for example, that Mercy Corps puts out, which is a big NGO. They have a platform called micromentor.org, and it's free for the mentor. It's free for the uh, mentees. Mm-hmm. You can go on there um, and say, I am an entrepreneur, and I am starting a business, and it's X, Y, and Z. So then you pick what are the types of areas you want help in, and then the system will match you with mentors who say they have expertise in those places. So I'm on there as a mentor and I'm mentoring a guy in Nigeria who's starting a business and then I'm also mentoring a woman in the Bay Area. So I get to pick and choose who I want. The important thing is, the reason I picked them is because they clarified what their needs were as Mm -hmm. opposed to, I'm just looking for a mentor. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So then the next step is, there's five steps, and then the next step is to ask. So that's probably the hardest part for people is to make the ask and it's particularly harder for women to make the ask than it is for men because in our culture in particular men are taught as younger boys that you know more there's been more modeling around making asks but for women it's not there at least it wasn't for me and for people in my social network so it's there's an art to making an ask you know caroline when i first uh on a hobby level, I, I, I started looking for a mentor here about the uh, the guitar building hobby that I've been trying to build on. And uh, the first mentor I asked, uh, I said, you know, hey, let me just let me just come and sweep your shop, and I think I will learn more sweeping your shop mm-hmm. than I will at home, just staring at my own setup and not not figuring out how this is really done. And his response was. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't have time for that. I don't have any. So, you know, I, and I took his feedback. He's, his feedback was he doesn't have time for that. He doesn't know how to structure his shop to work me into it and all this kind of stuff. So I said, okay, great. Came back to him again a couple weeks later and said, listen, I'll do it on a schedule that is flexible. You can accept the times or decline them anytime. And I will stay out of your hair and not add any work to your workload. Mm-hmm. Basically made it so it was hard to say no, uh, but also made it so it was uh, actually beneficial for him. And maybe uh, that's something we could talk about a little bit more, but you know, what does the mentor get out of this whole relationship? Well, the first I want to address what you said earlier in, it was really great that you were clarifying how specific you want it to be in the relationship. 
So that's actually leads into the next step, which is agree on terms. Hmm. So you were doing that already by saying, I'm going to come on this day and I'm going to do this. I'm going to sweep the floor and it's going to be this amount of time. So one of the main reasons that people say no to mentoring is for the time. It's too much time. Right. I don't have the time. Um, or the other reason is they feel like it's such a big responsibility that they're going to do the person a disservice. Well, why are you coming to me to be a mentor, right? And so there's that piece in there. So I think to your point, Peter, what's great is you got him to say yes because you came back with specific terms. Mm. And you need to treat this mentorship relationship as a professional relationship mm. and say, let's try this out for three months. Let's meet every other Tuesday at 8 a.m. for a cup of coffee at this place and have a very specific agenda item to talk to them with, not just get together and just talk about nothing. Otherwise, you can cancel it, right? So that's, I think, a piece that people leave out is they forget to set terms. And then what people get out of it, I mean, I, I get so much out of mentoring because I end up getting to experience things I otherwise would not have gotten to experience. I'm getting exposed to companies that I never would get exposed to because they're not things I would start. Mm -hmm. So I'm helping them think through problems and solutions for areas and topics that I would never otherwise think about. So that, that part's really rewarding and really great. And you get to know a lot about yourself because you do have to practice patience, right? I mean, I've had mentees that I've quote unquote fired because what I do is I give them homework and I say, look, I'm going to help you with your business, but the first thing I need you to do is fill out this part of a business plan and have it done within two weeks and then call me or email me when it's ready and we'll get together and we'll talk about it. Well, two weeks goes by and they haven't done it. I haven't heard from them. I say, okay, I'll give you one more chance. I'm, I'm cool with giving one more chance. And then after that, I say, look, this isn't working out. I'm really busy and you obviously are too and it doesn't seem like there's a fit. So having terms and sticking to them is really important. And then the last piece is thanking. So you want to make sure there's a beginning and an end to the relationship. And mm. it doesn't mean that you're not going to be friends with them afterwards, but at least the people feel like the, men the mentor you're making me ask to feels like, oh, I don't have to do this forever. Right. You know, I just want you to do this once a month for the next year or six months or whatever. So thank them. And by thanking them, the best way I've ever been thanked is by handwritten notes. <laughs> Going back to, you know, claiming that pen again, <laughs> not the tweets and the texting and posting something to my Facebook page, an actual handwritten note and card specifically saying what I helped them with. Because then that makes me feel like I actually provided value and we weren't just wasting time hanging out together. So that's important. So really there's these five steps is you want to clarify, you want to seek, you want to ask, you want to agree and then you want to thank and I think people usually skip everything except for the ask they'll go in and be my mentor and they don't understand why they skip two steps before that so right. hopefully that's helpful that's awesome thank you Peter would you be my mentor uh, well can you be a little more specific let's get back to oh, the right uh, clarify my needs um, <laughs> can you teach me how to do a podcast better and maybe do it for the length of this entire podcast Maybe if you can help me with the same thing, we'll do some kind of back and forth here. Mentoring and menteeing. I love it. This is where you might want to find another mentor. <laughs> hey, hey, Caroline. Here comes the music outro, people. <laughs> so, hey, those of you who have a great mentor or being mentored story to share, uh, give us a tweet. Send us an email. 
Uh, let's hashtag it my mentor story. That's hashtag my mentor story and let us know how things went for you. Yeah, good, bad, funny experiences. We'd love to hear them. Uh, go ahead and send us that tweet or send us an email. Yeah, maybe not too funny, but funny enough. How about that? I bet you some of the bad ones will be pretty funny. All right. Well, let's uh, not share names if it's too bad. How about that? <laughs> okay, sounds good. Let's call him Jane. <laughs> That's great. Also, we'll post some resources in the uh, in the comments section of this post. So, uh, you know, other places to find mentors and uh, Mercy Corps that Caroline mentioned. Yeah, we'll link to that. Definitely. Great. That's an example of what people are doing with big data. Is yeah. they, they love to put maps together and infographics together, and it ends up creating really interesting content that you can use to market your business. You know, like retailers used to have tons of information on their own users, but not about the rest of the world. So it used to be like small data was just your own segments. Yeah. So the bigger you were, the more data you had. Right. Which is an important distinction between then and now. Now you can get good research, which is huge. Yeah. But even all that information that you had, people weren't necessarily collecting it and using it. They might have been collecting it, but then putting it in boxes and shoving it in the their warehouse, you know, like... Yeah, that's a good point. Up until the bigger size company, you don't have the high-end, high-paid, Princeton grad research people who can do anything good with that data. So without the people who can convert it into useful intelligence, without the actual size of the data, it's just kind of a shoebox. Yeah. So really, it's the realm of the bigger company. So the new thing is now small businesses can have access to some small, like some of that access to the bigger data. Mm -hmm. I think that's good. Well, well, small businesses, first of all, should have a website, even though there's a statistic out there like 60% of small businesses in America don't even have a website, which is sort of crazy. <laughs> and then if you have a website, you should have analytics behind it. Google Analytics is free. And so you can at least start to gather, well, where are people coming from when they visit my site? Maybe your chamber of commerce is referring traffic to you and you're thinking about canceling your membership. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't if they're actually sending you traffic or right. you know, how long are people on the website? What are they buying? What are they not buying? Um, how long are they staying on a page? Things like that. Um, unless you're a technology company like us, mm-hmm. you're probably not monitoring those things, and everybody should be monitoring those things. Yeah, I think it's something that people have been able to access for a while now, but maybe just now you would start to call it big data. But the idea of like using Google's keyword planner, like that's right. using big data to make a decision about how you should market your business, use yeah. these terms and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and no data is bigger than Google's user data. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a huge statistical size, so it's really important. I think from the small business angle, too, you've got uh, what a lot of people don't realize is available to them, uh, you know, census data and that kind of thing. So, you know, a free example would be sizeup.com, and Jonathan, you can share that link after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Live Plan, we have some resources there that uh, do similar research, but a little bit more in depth. Um, and these uh, companies, SageWorks, SizeUp, and there's others, uh, basically aggregate anonymously uh, thousands and thousands of companies' information. And that information, in aggregate, tells a story that any small business should know about their own competitive landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, things like if all other bike shops in your world take 30 days to get paid and you take 120 days to get paid on average, that's a huge difference and something that you should know about 
not just from perspective of why it's happening to you and how you could do better, but also just having an idea of what everyone else is doing in the world. So mm-hmm. it's it's a it's an interesting thing for any small business to dive into. Are there other resources that you can tap into in order to get information like big data information at the sales level? It, it depends on the industry. So if you are an e-commerce site, then whatever e-commerce engine you're using should be giving you that kind of data. You know time to purchase, conversion rates, those kinds of things, because then that's data that you should be using to constantly tweak what you're doing for your marketing, whether it's online marketing, offline marketing. So just this idea of big data is now available to small businesses. I think that's compelling and is going to change the landscape for a small business, whether you have a coffee shop in a small town or you run a 10 office dental practice you should still be tracking all of that traffic into your store, traffic into your office, you know, the referral rates for your customers, those kinds of things. And so just helping small businesses think about data, whether it's on a small level or a big level, I think that it would help move the needle just a little bit for a small business. And for a small business, moving the needle a little bit is a lot. Yeah. Are, do some platforms do it better than others, I guess, is what I'm wondering. E-commerce platforms, you know, you could build a website, it has that functionality built into it, but not every one of them is saying, yeah, and we're going to take your data and show you how it matches up against all of our other customers who have this type of data. I think what's most important for a small business is to, unless they are, they love data and they're analytics geeks, they should find someone who does to help them think through that and pick the right tool. Yeah. Because if they just, you know, if they get retargeted online, they're going to go buy whatever that e-commerce engine is. Mm -hmm. Um, it might not be the right thing for them. So they should tap into some experts to help them pick the right tool based on the market they're in, the business model they have, so that they can make intelligent decisions about their marketing and their spend based on utilizing an opportunity to have a big set of data for a small business. Yeah, and really it's guidelines. These things, Mm -hmm. in, in a way, you have to look at them as the data is always wrong, and you are always a bad fit for the data. That should be the starting point. Hmm. Not that extreme, but in the sense that since everything is anonymously aggregated out there, right? These are always, you know, thousands and thousands of average numbers. You know that there's a high and there's a low within that average. Now that means the result is going to be, you know, maybe a good average, but really not fully accurate. And then the second point is you whether it's your comic publication company or, or whatever, uh, you're a unique snowflake anyway. Right. So again, knowing if you're way off from that average, why you might be off from that average is really the most important way to look at this data, if there's where, uh, places you can make improvements based on that too. Okay. Is there anything like inherently wrong with big data or a vulnerability that you might have if you use big data? Well, I mean, there's a lot of the fear-mongering out there, and, you know, I think some of it's valid and some of it's uh, extreme, but, you know, that's a good question out to the users. I mean, where are we uh, Where are we at with this big data? Is it getting too big? There's the push and the pull of data for small business. One is, you know, what what kind of big data can I pull in right. to analyze to make it work for me? And then what kind of data am I collecting already that I want to now push out to use in creative marketing strategies that doesn't feel icky. Yeah. You know, like Big Brother's watching, I saw that you were shopping over there, so I'm gonna go chase you over there. You know, yeah. it, it can't be creepy. 
But people more and more now with the internet now have having been around for how many years now? <laughs> at least two, I think. Yeah, right? at least two and a half. That's a good so, point. Let's yeah. fill in with some research afterwards. <laughs> two and a half. How of long that? has the internet been around? Um, people, we could call Al Gore and ask him. People <laughs> are more comfortable, I think, with putting data online, and even though they might not know where it's going, I think most people realize that it's probably being used in some capacity. Right. Mm. So, but then they wonder why they get an ad. Uh, right. on Google that's about something that they were searching for. Right. Because they don't realize that it's going out there and their data is out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And that retargeting works. Mm -hmm. So people are buying into it. <laughs> that's our conversation about big data. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys if you have an example of how your small business is using data, whether it's big or small, um, to help your business out. We'd love to hear uh, about that example. So send us a tweet at bplans or send us an email, bcast at bplans.com. Tell us about it and we might feature your story on the show. Yeah, if you got a favorite tool, a favorite way of accessing data, a favorite way of using it that might surprise our listeners, feel free to post it. Thanks. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.